Welcome back to The Exchange by Evolution, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders today with me. I'm Sean, your host today, and I help connect businesses within tech talents. And today, we will be talking about the differences between tech and crypto VC investing. Joining me for this session are Sabrina and Wang Hao. Would you like to make the introductions, Sabrina? Uh, sure. Uh, so yeah, my name is Sabrina Tajdian. Uh, I'm with the HBAR Foundation, I'm leading fintech and payment vertical. Uh, the HBAR Foundation's mission is to develop uh, the growth of the Hedera ecosystem. Hedera is a layer one protocol out of the United States. Nice. What about yourself, Wang Hao? Sure. Uh, thanks, Sean, for uh, arranging this. Uh, I'm Hao from Metabank. Um We co-founded this company essentially to help developing nations to digitally transform their economies. We're talking about 190 countries within the United Nations. And the weird uh, basic aim is to help their people double their income and even triple in the next three to five years, uh, in addition to preserve the world heritage. So all using blockchain as a technology. So that's what we do. Right. And amidst this current market, right, it's always my personal interest to share with the community, although it's a large community, but at the same time, it's a really small community, you know, uh, where everyone within this industry is really interested in the breaking technologies of this tech stuff. But at the same time, there is this investing side of things. I know there's a lot of retailers or DJs like myself who have, you know, lost a lot of money through investing in the early days as well. So probably wanted to understand more from the professional standpoint, you know, into this topic today. So how does the investment strategy of a tech and crypto VCs differ from each other. Is there main differences? Wang Hao? Uh, yes. Uh, if you look at the uh, investment space, the main difference is crypto is too small. Uh, too small so that you actually can't have such a, uh, I would say, dedicated team to each specific value chains from due diligence, to uh, investments and then post investment management. I'm just talking about the VC in general. Uh, and um, but traditionally, you probably got these three teams are very very different uh, skill sets, etc. So that's from a, a value chain perspective. The VCs, I think, in crypto is a very just like one person can do essentially from start to the end, and the cycle is much shorter. If you look at most of the VCs, usually take five to ten years uh, before even bought out to uh, IPOs, that actually is the uh, uh, the time frame. But crypto is usually, I think, three years is kind of like the, the time frame you are looking at. In general, sometimes it may take five years. Uh, but that's usually what I think is pushing this into a more, uh, I would say, efficient uh, models. But how this actually could take it, uh, whether we merge the existing VC models into the crypto or they find somewhere in between. Uh, I'm not so sure, but I think traditional VC that get much shorter in the country. Uh, but there's a, there's a, personally, I think there's a much bigger risk in terms of traditional VCs in general. The whole landscape of financial, uh, I would say, uh, financial assumption has changed with the Fed. Uh, and uh, the mega cycle we had in the last 40 years, 
is coming to an end. So that's I think the VC model is actually disrupted in general, no matter it's traditional or it's uh, uh, or it's uh, crypto VC. So that's that's my views. Yeah. All right, Sabrina, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with uh, with Wang Hao. Uh, definitely, the timeline is different uh, between a traditional VC and a crypto focused VC. Like even the, the the vehicles are set for different uh, duration. Like a traditional VC would be maybe like eight to ten years, right? Crypto could be much shorter than that. Um, also, um, the uh, crypto uh, as an industry moves a lot faster. Uh, generally speaking, the trends are shorter, the market moves more quickly. So um, a traditional uh, VC fund uh, may have a more stable thesis, while a crypto fund will have a thesis that's constantly evolving. Uh, within the span of like three to four years, you could have gone from L1s to DeFi to NFTs to like GameFi or Layer 2s. Um, so there's, there's, there's always... Uh, uh, a need to adapt. Um, and uh, also an interesting development I was in the past maybe two, three years is the emergence of investment DAOs, uh, which are, uh, you know, a DAO for decentralized autonomous uh, organization, which are, was where a community of investors um, get together, uh, pull some crypto to invest in like tokens and NFTs and then share the profits. And that's really changing uh, the landscape. Uh, and I think also has a lot of potential to seep into the traditional VC model. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's very interesting because um, DAOs are not limited to a specific type of investor, like an accredited investor. There's no minimum ticket size, so there's a lot more flexibility there. Right. But at the same time, that there, there isn't much due diligence for an average Joe to do, right? So I think you touched on that a bit, Wang Hao. So, how do yeah. the due diligence process of like a tech and crypto VCs compare in that sense? Is it very much similar or is it more stringent? Um, I think traditional tech VCs has become much more, uh, I would say, reckless. Uh, I would say basically more flexible in a sense. Uh, if you look at what has been the, the main drivers, usually you are thinking about from three to six months in terms of due diligence, checking about funders, funding. Uh, financial statements, teams, etc., background check. Everything actually has shortened to almost a couple of weeks to uh, even within a week, etc. Even for traditional tech, I think that's that's been pushing uh, into the short term time frame. Just because not only people want to rush is uh, there's plenty of capital chasing all these opportunities. When you have a vision funds at the end, we're talking about close to a trillion dollars. Just really looking at through the checks to add anything they think is possible, right? Just basically giving us a lot of absolute pressure at the beginning of the deal, uh, if you're in the early stage of it. So that's one thing. Second, technically, there are a lot of tools actually smooth those informations. We're just thinking about when these days, how do you do due diligence, right? People use data rooms, people use a lot of the uh, real tracking, uh, I would say, uh, SaaS platforms. Essentially, you can really see how people are actually progressing project basis as well as financially. So so that's kind of things. And the crypto put this into a much more, I would say, uh, faster pace. Uh, but still, uh, there's some tools. But frankly speaking, I, I still have to say that the tools so far offered in the uh, Web3 space is still limited. Um, there are a lot of people still trying to use better tools. It's it's all about whether you trust the data actually you get from the tools. 
but when you go get those data from oracles, actually, uh, all traditional financial institutions, which some third party actually does that, you can trust the problem. Uh, that's kind of things where it still has not come to the crypto space yet. Uh, not to mention the legal auditing. If we come to a later stage, <coughs> this has never changed. I mean, uh, oh, to be fair, this has changed very, very little. I mean, the, the lawyers turn them back, I think it's probably still a week, three days is the shortest I can find for most of the uh, lawyers to send off on something. If they need to change a, a investment agreement, etc., ready, people will get back within a week. So that's kind of the thing where um, you see some limits, right? The limits is at the humans. It's not at the technology. So that's uh, the trust as well as how soon people can process information. So we're actually, uh, we're basically chasing and uh, shortening to the limits we can get to. Right. I mean, I see this um, due diligence says, like you mentioned, it's very much akin to like crypto. It's like layer ones that first came out and then, you know, layer twos that come out to really solve the problems of layer one. It's ever-changing technology behind this kind of stuff and in our world, right? And what's your thoughts on that, Sabrina? Uh, I think there's some key differences yeah, in the due diligence process, but at the in terms of the basics, it's, it's the same, right? You will look at the fundamentals, the team, the product. I mean, for crypto, you know, you could go and like, Check the code yourself, right? Um, it's there's no magic there. Um, check for the traction, the business model. Um, all this is going to be uh, relatively similar. Where I think where there's a key difference um, is from the fact that you'd be purchasing tokens and not equity, uh, and as such, you have to really drill deep into what the you know what the model is behind the token. You want to understand the the utility, um, you know, the supply, the demand. Uh, distribution schedules, um, what are the public sale plans, the listing plans, uh, what are the various allocations uh, to the team and to also, uh, you know, the, the community and for the growth of the project. Um, so you really need to capture how, uh, to, to figure out how the value is being captured uh, in the token and does it even make sense in the first place to have a token? I mean, it's very easy to to issue a token and do some marketing and hand it out for free because it's, it's a cheap way to do your growth hacking, but you know it's not enough to be sustainable in the long term. So you need to figure out what are the mechanisms that will provide the utility and like, generate the demand for the token. Otherwise, um, the value will you know eventually go to zero. So that's that part. The tokenomics due diligence is something that doesn't really uh, is not relevant to uh, regular tech investment. Um, and, and there's also, of course, you know, if you're investing in, say, non-fungible tokens, especially collectibles, a lot of the due diligence was centered around um, measuring the strength of the community because that was like the main driver for success. I mean, that's more relevant to like, uh, you know, a year or two ago. But for example, if you take like the Bored Apes example, um, they were able to become mainstream because of the strength of the, the community, not so much because they had like some unfair technical advantage. Um, and another thing I would say, point out in terms of difference in due diligence is it's actually very important where the other investors are because not all funds are disciplined uh, and some are known to dump on the market. So that could be on a, a red flag if you see that they are in cap table. I mean, that's there's so little due diligence that you can do with the crypto side of things, right? 
It depends. I think actually you could go in very deep if you want to. Um, when it gets to the point where um, you know market is at the highest and there's a lot of demand, you are pressured as an investor to turn around like within like two days or a week, even sometimes. Right. It's really you can always say no. It's really up to you to uh, decide whether or not you buy into the hype, right? Uh, yeah. So I would argue, uh, yes, it is harder to invest in, in the bull market, but you probably don't actually want to invest in, in the, you know, at the peak of the hype because that's when the valuations are high and probably not when you have your best returns in the, you know, when exactly. And And at that point, I think last year, there was a lot of pump and dump projects out there as well, right? I think that's the main things that we all want to avoid, right? So talking about this kind of risk, how do the risks and potential returns of investing in tech companies or even crypto companies' projects compare then? Sabrina? Yeah, so um, well, there's risks in, in, in both sides of, of on both sides of the coin, right? Both tech and crypto investments, they're high risk, high, high return. Um, I would say there's definitely more potential for upside in crypto. Uh, but first of all, crypto is, is more forgiving. Uh, because you could exit within, say, um, two, three years while the project is still uh, hot. And, but regardless of how well it does uh, later down the line. So, for example, um, uh, when I was uh, investing in my, in my previous uh, uh, job, we had exposure to a token that we were able to exit at like, the top of the market. But then just a few months later, you know, notoriously crashed and burned. We still made a good return, right? Uh, so... In both cases, I think the market and the macro conditions are, are important, of course, uh, uh, in terms of getting returns. Uh, but I think the timing is really, really important in, in crypto because it's so cyclical. Um, you want to avoid deploying at the top of the hype, and then you know, especially when the valuations don't make sense, and uh, you're probably going to lose your shirt if you actually deploy all at that time. Um, so in my case, I started investing from like mid 2018, uh, like so deep into the bear market. Uh, and then the, the advantage of investing in the bear market is that the valuations were more reasonable. There were fewer like tourists, you know, who are there for the easy money. Um, and they, so there was some self-selection as well. So you know, of course, some of the portfolios you know still failed, but overall we did we did very well. What are your thoughts, Wang Hao? Uh, yes. So I think uh, I probably have a slightly different perspective uh, just thinking about investment more in the longer time cycles. Uh, when I mean longer time cycles, is the project able to survive 10 years down the road? Am I going to still hear about it or is on history? Uh, or it's going to be a case study that's going to basically change billions of people, uh, either their lives or their perspective. Uh, so that's that's how I think about this. When I think about that, uh, I really look at um, the the fundamentals drivers of a VC investing. Um, I see there's actually three parts. Uh, firstly, is information edge. No matter what you is information edge, you have over certain uh, whatever projects or technology or group of people, this can be all information edge. Uh, this is actually pretty much when it started from Silicon Valley. Uh, that was not called Silicon Valley 78 years ago, right? So uh, they started from uh, Fairchild by Intel later. Uh, that's actually started the venture capital investing. But they only took off, uh, I would say, uh, significantly, I think, in the 80s. And that actually the second part comes from. It's not about information, it is about 
the technology breakthrough can empower the real economy. Uh, it's, it's, if this can only be used by a small group of people, whether it's in schools or whether it's in uh, military uh, or uh, whatever, just like a government level, this will never take off. This, this is the thing where I see uh, you need consumer base. And consumer base actually only has, I would say, uh, two or three big markets in the US and China. That's it. No other market is actually big and uh, I would say enough to actually consume. Because uh, your lifetime value is just not enough, no matter what you do. And the third thing uh, that's actually very, very big is turning off. So that's the financial leverage we're talking about. Information edge, and then you have a very big super super market. Uh, that's actually very difficult to get to such a two points. And the third one is financial leverage. Talking about both from a venture investing as well as convertible, there's all these hybrid uh, securities which you can actually fund the company to grow. And then later either listed in NASDAQ, etc., or tokenized into some uh, platforms, whether it's a seed. Seed price or tax. Uh, that's adding financial leverage. The financial leverage part is the last one. I personally uh, believe, or oh, I think, uh, the big mega trend of financial, um, I would say, uh, euphoria has actually stopped uh, when we start to see the 10 year US Treasury bonds yields jump from 0.5% to 3.5 that last a year and a half. Uh, and they actually dropped from 30, 30, 25% per annum to 0.5%. Just think about this. What you can do working in financial industry, you don't really need much. I would say that thought this is an upgrade very easy. Uh, even if you do something wrong, there's a way to come back. So, so that's kind of things I see this turning. But the first two points, information edge, as well as the yeah, consumer markets to actually use it. If you are still using human as the ultimate consumer of technology, rather than just uh, AIs or robots, um, I think the algorithm still works. But uh, that's that's how I think. Um, but I, I do see uh, the retirement of so much. I will see uh, recently the SoftBank founder and chairman uh, is called the end of uh, traditional VCs, especially in, in that sense. So that needs to change. Uh, and uh, I haven't seen a uh, proper model come out yet. Right. right. And Sabrina, you mentioned earlier about you managing to exit the potential, uh, sorry, not the potential, the investments, right, at its peak and only to see it die down in the couple of months ahead, right? So what are the exit strategies that you think are really different between the tech and the crypto VCs? Uh, I, I would say, um, so tech is, you, you have limited options, right, for your exit. Um, it's either you wait uh, for <coughs> to IPO or get acquired, or um, if you're like a very early investor, you, there could be some secondary trading um, that you can do when um, the, uh, the company is raising again. So for crypto, um, like typically you'll purchase uh, tokens on private sale if, you are, if you're an investor um, at, a, at a discount versus the public sale or the listing price. Um, and then you'll be able to exit uh, once your tokens are vested, um, like assuming there's a market to trade them. Um, so either they are listed on exchange or there's enough demand, like they could, you could do an OTC deal or a private deal. 
uh, but typically you'll be able to to uh, uh, exit on the exchange. Um, you would be exiting more like in increments because your token may still be vesting. Um, but you can also choose uh, to hold the tokens longer to capture more upside. And there's also more you can do with the tokens. Like for example, uh, maybe you could put them in the DeFi protocol. Um, you could like earn yield from it. Um, so there's a whole like treasury management aspect that's a bit more complex than um, equity-based exits. Uh, with that, you know, I think a lot of funds have more, more of a trading background. Um, and so depending on, but depending overall on your deal conditions, um, you would be able to exit fully within like two to four years on average um, compared to uh, a more traditional uh, VC firm. Um, yeah, so so I think those are, those are some key differences. Right. And Wang Hao, what's your thought on that? I think you mentioned about treasury uh, bonds, bills, those really affects the kind of market sentiment that gives you a lot of age in terms of information, right? So that what will that information expedite the exit strategies in terms of the investments? Of course, I mean, this, this is not some, uh, some uh, dark information, whatever. I mean, everybody can have a look at what's going on with the financial markets on a daily basis, because that's usually I come from. Uh, for 15 years doing hedge funds and uh, trading, etc. Um, that information edge is actually not so easily transmitted into the the power and the insights to those VC investors. Just talk to any investors on the VC space. Uh, what's the most recent trade they have done on the stock markets? Actually, not many. And 90% uh, of those haven't done any fixed income trades, uh, not to mention those derivatives. So many of those actually are very passionate, ambitious uh, creators, innovators, tech background, uh, just happen to be, I think, um, really, I think, got a fortunate period of all this uh, uh, financial euphoria, uh, that we have these uh, 40 years of lower, uh, I would say, uh, funding rates in general. So so that's kind of things. Uh, but it's not easy to actually just change the whole the mindset of we see investing suddenly doesn't work. Uh, I still see there's a value, but it probably comes to the fundamental questions. If your funding rates, I'm talking about in general, uh, in short-term funding, 5%, what kind of business model makes sense or not? And why it makes sense? And who is going to be your next investor funding of your business? Uh, and then those questions actually, if you come to probably two or three years ago, people say, okay, someone else will actually buy out. They need the users, they, they need the, the traffic. And the user and traffic actually are not giving you enough lifetime value actually to make sure your unit price uh, or your unit revenue is going to cover your unit cost. So this actually fundamentally has shifted quite a bit and into some kind of uh, just expecting someone else is going to take it. Uh, whether it's a stock market, it's IPO, or it's some big vision funds, etc. But that thing, I think, needs to be really uh, deeply thought. And that's how I actually started to look at the projects. If they haven't been thinking about that, uh, that's the thing where it has to start with the revenues. Uh, it's not just about changing the world. Your lifetime value, if it's actually not able to cover the cost of uh, producing it, um, why do this? And uh, what actually could change? as you scale up, etc. I mean, so that's the kind of things where we, we uh, I feel a little bit conservative in general. And I think the product that like you mentioned is really important and the thing or the company 
trying to achieve, what kind of mission they're trying to achieve is very important. Like for example, MetaBank, the purpose is there, the vision is there, right? But, you know, with the current market trends and the competitive landscape of tech and cryptocurrencies, <laughs> you know, trying to solve all these identical problems, you know, how would you feel like the different industries would have different kind of approach to these same similar problems? Um, okay. So, I mean, there are a lot of industries. I mean, if you think about it broadly, uh, it all comes to the fundamentals of from a mom and pop shop, right? So if you open a shop, uh, you need to seriously consider your cash flows. If there's no capital markets exit, I mean, who thinks uh, my mom and pop shop one day will become one of the listed company IPOs in NASDAQ? That's probably not the, uh, the traditional way of thinking about But this has become a uh, phenomenon <laughs> for those who open coffee shops, open stores, fast food uh, stores, etc. They're thinking about that. But look at those, how many actually started to make positive returns. Now, this is one of the very big thing, retail, right? And then you come to technology, EVs. This is a very hot, uh, I just use the example because I would probably say 90% of the EVs manufacturers in China actually cannot survive. They will die sooner or later. Uh, the reason is, Tesla is really on the cost of leadership uh, in terms of producing per unit, uh, both from the uh, latest model perspective or whatever, the basic model perspective. Um, this is actually very strong. They are at least two or three years. And there's no way for, for those companies actually from a hardware perspective to catch up with uh, Tesla, unless they got, I would say, subsidies, um, from the governments or whatever that is. Uh, so that's kind of things where I think uh, it is not about you just get a, a very hot uh, topic and also the industry vertical so that uh, you can easily get investors capital and then try to fund you through all those uh, expansion, etc. I think that's that's a, that's probably the assumption I just want to remind most of the uh, VC project founders uh, to actually think about it. Think about if you can't make revenues and self-sustain, uh, why would the investor actually help you? Uh, investor is, is actually feeling pressure, uh, not just talking about uh, from the investment returns. Those a lot of projects, if you talk to the big uh, dollar PVC funds in China, Southeast Asia, uh, what's your exit? If your exit is going to be a failure, uh, the pre-IPO strategy doesn't work. If a pre-IPO doesn't work, the Series C and D, actually, the investors will feel a little bit uh, risky to take in. And then those Android investors actually is just uh, going to feel much more the repercussions. But this will take time. This hasn't because the wealth accumulated uh, has been so huge and people get used to what they used to make money. Uh, this is the path dependent nature of human. I mean, just... Uh, in general, uh, it's not difficult um, to use technology, but it's very difficult to change people's mind. Right. Sabrina, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, 
with with Wang Hao. I think there's there's definitely a need to uh, return to fundamentals. Uh, and but it's difficult to lump all of them into uh, one bucket when there are uh, industries that are more capital intensive than others. Uh, so so yeah, but looking at the unit economics is going to be uh, very important. I think investors are pretty much. Um, I, I would say they're pretty much done looking at growth for the sake of growth. Um, and I mean, I think that that that's uh, that was something that wasn't sustainable um, in in the long term anyway. So I think going back to a bit more reasonable and value based approach. Um, and when it comes to crypto industry, um, given that it is very um, you know pretty much exclusively software you don't really have um, these considerations uh, it's not as capital intensive uh, you can scale very easily uh, you are global from day one usually when you launch that's not the case of a lot of tech startups um, um, so that means you'll be competing with um, other blockchain companies from day one um, so but at the same time you uh, It's also a space that can be very collaborative because uh, you know you can combine different primitives that are built by different teams uh, so the projects can also feed off each other uh, they can also be head to head like you would have like maybe DeFi protocol that sprouts overnight and then launching what they call those like vampire attacks on other protocols uh, so that's a very interesting dynamic um, When it comes to the more traditional tech industry, yes, it's also, um, you know, the, 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 the trends are clear and it's also, it could be very competitive, but usually company will go after their domestic market first. Um, and so that kind of gives the opportunity for um, other, I would say like knockoffs of the same, using the same model to um, secure, um, you know, another geography. So if you say, um, Like e-commerce, for example, you'll have Amazon in the Western world and then a bunch of fast followers in other countries. Like you'd have like Lazada and Shopee in Southeast Asia, Alibaba or Taobao in China and maybe Coupon in Korea. Right. So uh, different uh, different dynamics and global from day one, I think, is one of the things that uh, sets the crypto industry apart. Right. And I think earlier on in the podcast, you mentioned that the... The period of time that takes that it takes to invest in the crypto space is much shorter as compared to the tech space, right? So in terms of like the long-term growth prospect for the tech and crypto companies in comparison other than that, is there anything else that we should be looking so, at? Yeah, I think the, for tech companies, it's typically more of a Like a slow and steady growth, right? Well, the crypto companies they could be they could be very explosive in their growth. Um, crypto companies will, if they're really going after crypto native uh, application, it will benefit from not having to deal with regulations, uh, and so they can, you know, and they can do growth hacking by using the token. So um, those are two factors that uh, contribute to a fast growth. In comparison, if you want to look at, say, a fintech company, then they will need to um, do a lot of compliance-related work. They may want to apply for a license. And then as far as growth hacking goes, you know, they, they can spend VC money, but that's that's pretty much it. They can't just be like minting tokens. Uh, so it's not uncommon to see like a DeFi protocol um, 
you know, gather a lot of speed and, uh, you know, within within weeks or months, you know, be doing millions in, in trading volume. Um, but yeah, again, I think uh, crypto is more subject to, uh, to ups and downs. Um, but overall, I'm, I'm very optimistic about crypto. It's still a very mature industry that didn't exist like 15 years ago. So um, there's more experimentation and that like, growing pains and, you know, that, that comes that comes with um, uh, with it being a young industry, but also a lot of innovation that what's interesting is we're beginning to see it like, seep into the mainstream. And uh, yeah, overall, it's a very exciting space to be in, despite um, all the all the market drama and the, and the headlines. Uh, I think it's, it still is a, a very uh, high potential uh, industry to be in. Wang Hao, what are your thoughts? Okay, personally, I think uh, I wouldn't just call crypto in general. Uh, I think the blockchain technology is pretty strong. Uh, has the potential to grow into something that none of us could imagine. Okay, there's a lot of potentials. Uh, you only, I would say, uh, fundamental change using blockchain is actually the trust we can uh, and that really solve how people actually collaborate on a global basis at the same time, uh, basically communicating information with the capital and the money. Money doesn't have to be in paper uh, or someone who knows this is the money, right? This can be actually uh, all than one, I would say, transfer of message other blockchains. So that's actually uh, the simple power I see. It's the uh, power that trust can be. I would, this is something that I just uh, uh, had a talk with one of the uh, professors at the Oxford lately about doing this speech here. Uh, we had an interesting conversation in the sense like, like AI has been really has been, uh, so fast lately the last six months where everybody starts to realize there's something called GPT, chat GPT. Uh, this is just an iceberg of the whole thing. Uh, there are a lot more that we don't know. I don't, don't know that we don't know. So uh, I'm not saying that I, I, I know more, but there's a lot of things actually beyond our imagination. Uh, if we think future of this planet is still human, okay, that's the assumption, okay? I don't think that assumption is actually going to carry on to probably 50 years down the road, okay? Uh, I have a probably more uh, bigger uh, imagination about what actually uh, device machines actually that technology overtake you to make decisions because part of it's one part of the whole decision process. If the next 50 years is actually what we need to make a difference as a human to the decision making, uh, trust mechanism is actually very important because. You don't even trust machines, right? Because machines can immediately decide whether it's uh, trustable or not trustable. On the other hand, human can lie. So trusting phantom uh, using blockchain technology solving that issue is actually very, very powerful from that perspective. But there's a short period of constraints, right? So imagine a world where uh, a lot of things actually have be removed, uh, a lot of frictions, uh, because we have a better trust mechanism, then, then there's, I think, a few a little bit more, uh, I'll say, uh, uh, positive. Uh, so that's why I see that's the area uh, that have a lot of potentials. But traditional tank is a very broad AI. I see more potentials. And uh, power, EV, is just one part of it. That's what 
vehicles, but we need to grasp how we can actually get power more efficiently and the computing fabrics and other parts of chips, uh, another part see a lot of uh, potential as well. So Russia is just one of them. Right. Really, really interesting. And I think it's just an endless uh, debate and explorations in the next 50 years yeah. to come. But unfortunately, yeah. that's all the time that we have for today. So thank you for both our speakers for providing us with more knowledge and insights in this area. And thank you to our lovely audience for listening to us. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and we will see you guys next time on The Exchange by Evolution. Bye.